Let me uh, pray for us and we'll get started. God, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for um, just a time to reflect on uh, Christ who has come, uh, who entered uh, Jerusalem as the rightful king of all things and, uh, and in your plan and um, in your wisdom, he went to the cross for us, taking our place, died for us for the wrath that we deserve, that he rose again by your design, by your great power, and because of his great righteousness, perfect righteousness, and he has um, sent the Spirit who you've given us, and we long for, we, we look for the day of his return. We pray that we would be faithful, uh, walking by the power of the Spirit uh, as we seek to be your uh, faithful children and uh, church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Numbers, plugging along through the wilderness here. We're Numbers 20. So you'll remember the, the congregation of Israel has been, <clears throat> well, they were, they were going to head into the wilderness. Um, why did they not enter the land right away? God had promised them land, right? He said, you're going to, this, this is the land of promise. This is where I'm going to send you. In fact, he promised it uh, b- back to Abraham, really. I mean, you're talking back in Genesis, you know, way before even they're in Egypt. And he also promised them, hey, you're going to end up in Egypt. Um, and you're going to be serve as slaves there because the, um, the iniquity of those inhabiting that land has not come to its full measure yet. Uh, but there's, there was going to come a day when it would and when God would send Israel back and use them as the instrument of his judgment against those peoples living in Canaan. Um, and he would give them the land. And so we see that throughout the whole Bible, by the way, right? Um, salvation of God's people and judgment of God's enemies. That is, that is in some ways, the story of the Bible. And... and um, that's going to continue, and that's going to be in the end times as well. It's, it's even now in small measure. Uh, but so why, why did they not get to enter the land right away? It, yeah, unbelief. So, so they don't believe God's promises. Um, they, they go, they look, they live by what they see and um, disregard God's promises that he's going to give them the land. So they, they, um, they're unfaithful, so God sends them into the wilderness uh, and says this whole generation... <clears throat> this older generation, they are all going to die off and they will not enter the land. Uh, but, the, but God's merciful and gracious. He's going to be faithful to his promises. So really throughout the book of Numbers, that's what we've seen, right? The people are unfaithful, but God is faithful to his promises. And so we keep seeing that. And, and, and he says, look, but I'm going to be faithful to my promises. The next generation, they will be the ones that will enter. The ones that you said were going to get devoured by the inhabitants of that land, they're going to enter the land. And, and so God says that's what he's going to do. But first, we have uh, basically about 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, I won't review what we just did last chapter. You can go back and listen to that if you missed that session. But let's look at chapter 20, verse 1, just to set the scene here, because this is the chapter we're going to begin with. It says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So the time frame, it refers to in the first month, and that's not clear as to what year we're talking about at this point, okay? Um, but if you ke- as you keep reading, what you find out is that this, because uh, what we're going to see in this chapter, so this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but if you look at your handout, you've already seen it. Aaron's about to die. So Aaron, the high priest, the first high priest, he's going to die. We're told later in the book of Numbers that happens at the end of the wilderness wanderings. In other words, it's about 40 years into their wanderings when Aaron dies. So we know that we're about to enter into this 
kind of 38th, 40th year time frame, somewhere in that, in that time frame is where we're entering. So I guess what I'm saying is we really are fast forwarding a lot, right? Um, we're moving pretty quick. Uh, we, we essentially skimmed over 38 years in just maybe a couple chapters. Um, the narrative is going to slow down, and this narrative is going to uh, really slow down because in, within this, this period from chapter 20 on, um, all the way through Deuteronomy and all the way through the beginning of Joshua is about like a two-year time span because they're going to end up on the plains of Moab. And you'll remember Deuteronomy, what, what's happening in Deuteronomy? Does anyone remember what happens in Deuteronomy? It's not really a bunch of like new, new event narrative. It's a sermon, really, right? I mean, it's basically a sermon from Moses to the, the people as they're getting ready to go into the land, reminding them of the law and reminding them of God's promises and saying, be faithful, right? Do, trust God, do what he says. Um, so that's Deuteronomy. So we have a whole book on that. And then Joshua, they go into the land. So we, we're, this is gonna take us all the way to the beginning of Joshua. So I guess what I'm saying is narrative time really slows down. Um, and that's because it's meant to draw attention to what happens during this time frame, right? God intends for us to focus on what is happening here. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to show you, this map is not very helpful for most of you because it is tiny, but um, basically the people are up here around this area is where they end up at at the beginning. Um, by the end of our time, they're going to end up way up there. You're going to see a little bit of a detour down here and they're going to end up way up there close to Canaan. You can see Canaan's the land they're supposed to enter on the other side of the sea. You see that, right? Up in the far, your left. Are we seeing that? I know it's a tiny picture, but pretend like you can see it. You can see it? Okay. Um, so that's, that's where they're going <laughs> to end up. But, um, uh, well, they're not going to end up in Canaan. They're going to end up in what we call the Transjordan. Um, we call it the Transjordan, by the way, because it's on the other side of the Jordan from the promised land, right? Trans across uh, Jordan being that river. And then on the other side of the river is where you have the main part of the promised land. Um, now we're going to find that there are going to be, uh, they are going to actually end up with this land on the Transjordan side as well. And uh, we're going to see two tribes eventually will end up settling over there. Um, we're not going to see that today, but that's what's going to happen. So they're going to be entering the land. Um, <clears throat> overview of chapter 20 and 21, where we're going to be today, we're going to see a new generation, uh, which has been arising over this 38 years. So they're not new in, in, in one sense, but in terms of the narrative, they're new because we're, we're really moving from the older generation to the younger generation. And that's going to be marked by the fact that we're going to have some significant deaths of the older generation in this chapter. We're going to see the death of Miriam, which we, I just read to you. And she was kind of like one of the leading female figures, right? That was Aaron's sister. Um, she's played a pretty big role. We saw her singing praises to God earlier. Um, then we're going to see um, Aaron, the high priest, is going to die. And then uh, Moses is going to receive um, word of his impending death. He doesn't die in this chapter, but he's going to receive word of his impending death. Uh, so we're transitioning to this new generation. Um, we see a lot of transitions here. Uh, another part of the transition we see going from one generation to the other is we're going to see kind of one last um, thwarted desire of the older generation. Um, so, so continuing just being frustrated and thwarted, that's kind of been the story of this generation for their rebellion. That's going to happen here in this chapter. But we're also going to see victories starting to happen in terms of battle. So we're going to see, again, we're transitioning to that new generation that will go into the land. They will be victorious in battle. And uh, that's what we're going to see happening. We're going to learn about serving God in ways that show that he is holy, not just um, in ways that promote um, our own frustrations with the world, but 
uh, ways that show that we trust God. And we're also going to see God's gracious work of rescuing sinners. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's begin uh, chapter 20, verses 2 through uh, 13. I'm just going to read the first nine verses. <clears throat> I want you to listen, and then someone maybe could tell us briefly what happens after I read it. So chapter 20, verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, <clears throat> so what happens? What do they need? Water. They need water, which is, makes sense. They're out in the wilderness, right? Uh, which is a deserty type area. So there's a lot of people, uh, livestock, they need water. That's, that's, is that a legitimate need? I mean, water's a legitimate need, right? So they need water. Um, but what do they do? Complain. They complain, right? So this older generation, along with probably the younger generation, we're going to see the younger generation is going to fail too in a few minutes. Uh, but they, it seems like they're part of this and they, they fail here. Um, but I do think this is kind of pointing back towards that older generation that is not going to enter the land. So they complain like they have before. Um, what do they, uh, so they ask him this question, why have you brought us into the wilderness? Um, what is the answer to that question? Okay. Number one, God uh, brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, and, and according to Exodus, why was God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt? What's that? They bitterly complained about their slavery in Egypt. Okay, so yeah, so, so he hears their cries, right? Yep. That's exactly right. So he hears the cries of his people, right, as they're enslaved. Uh, he brings them out, and he brings them out to worship him. Remember, that's what Moses tells Pharaoh. God tells you to let Israel go, his firstborn son, that he may worship him in the wilderness. Uh, that's where they were going to go. So that's the answer to that, but they clearly, um, that's not the answer they really want, right? Really, what, what they're after, and this is the way we are too, right? When we voice a complaint, sometimes it's not really what we're saying. There's something deeper behind it, right? And here it's, we just don't like where we're at. This is uncomfortable. We're tired of, you know, the heat and the lack of water and the constant dependency on God. Um, he's, they refer to it as an evil place, which I mean, they are in the wilderness, but they're going to the, they're supposed to be going to the promised land. And the reason they're not in the promised land is why? Well, they wouldn't go right? They disobeyed. Um, again, we, I mean, there are things for us to learn here too, because we do the same thing. We do something foolish and disobedient to the Lord, and then we get all frustrated when uh, things get difficult, right? Or he brings a trial. It's not because we necessarily did anything directly wrong, and we get frustrated. Um, this is uh, sinful human nature, so we can relate to this, uh, but it is a sin. Uh, God is good in all that he does and wise in all that he does. So Moses and Aaron go to the Lord. God speaks to them, and what does God tell them to do? The rock. He goes, go to this rock, and what's he supposed to do to the rock? Speak. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, yes. Now, does anyone remember an earlier incident where the people 
were lacking water. This is a long time ago because it's in the book of Exodus. Is there, does anyone remember a similar situation? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't remember the name they give it, but yeah, it's this, it's something like that. Yep. Bitter water. Yeah, bitter. Yeah. So they have a situation where they have bitter water, and then they have another situation where they don't have water, and there's a rock, and he's told to do what to that rock? Strike the rock, and it will provide water. Um, okay, so here, though, he's told to speak to the rock, and so far, so good. We read in verse 9, um, he took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So Moses is doing what the Lord commanded. So, so far, so good. <clears throat> Verses 10 through 13. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to, we should be expecting to read the rock, right? He said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, which that word gets used earlier in another water situation, where the Lord, where, sorry, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So they gather the people. He speaks not to the rock, but to the people, right? So he is, um, well, I guess let's figure out. So, so what's going on here? Well, Moses fails. That's pretty clear, right? How do we know that? Because God pronounces discipline on him. Right? I mean, God says, you're not going to lead the people in the land. So obviously what Moses has done is wrong. Clearly, the activity that was wrong was striking the rock when he had been told to speak to the rock. Um, but what is the, what's the issue here? What He's is acting the, out of his own thinking and his own impulses and anger okay. targets. His own impulses, that's right. Yep, that's right. And in fact, um, Psalm 106, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but in Psalm 106, verses 32 through 33, we get some commentary on this, and the psalmist says that they, um, they angered him, they, or they provoked him to wrath, depending on what translation, but the point is he was, he was angry at the people, uh, and so he spoke rashly to them, it says. So when, he, so when he does this whole thing, they are being rebels, but I guess what I'm saying is the commentary that we get in Psalms is uh, they are rebels, but he's angry at them, and he's obviously angry at them in a way that is not trusting the Lord, Right? There's a form of righteous anger, but he's not trusting the Lord because why? He doesn't do what God said. Righteous anger does what God says. Righteous anger obeys God. It doesn't just vent. It doesn't respond in sinful ways. Um, it responds in humble ways. Okay, so now, but in numbers, what are we told specifically is the issue? Because it is that. It is the fact that he, he responds in sinful frustration and anger towards the people um, but what does it say? Because you did not what? Believe. believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. So it's, it's an, this is another form of disbelief when we get sinfully angry in a way that does not honor the Lord. Because gentleness can, can be angry and, and gentle means I'm trusting that God is still on the throne. So I'm going to do what God says. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. Uh, but Moses doesn't respond that way. He responds in an unbelief form of anger and frustration. Um, and does not uphold the Lord as holy. So this people does not, they're not respecting the fact that God is set apart first and foremost to his own glory. And that's actually good and right. God is the one person in the universe who that's the, that's the best thing he can do is be set aside for his own glory, right? Because he's God. Um, and so uh, w the way Moses acted does not uphold God as being holy and set apart. 
right? It kind of brings God back down to look, look, you know, God and I are, we're just frustrated with you and we can't control you. Well, Moses, yeah, it's true. You can't control him, but God is. God's not out of control here in what's going to happen. So, um, so he takes the rebellion personally. He acts as if, uh, he doesn't act as if God is king. It seems like he's frustrated because he's acting as if he's king, right? That's when we get frustrated. Generally, it's because we've forgotten that God is king and we like to, we, we kind of subtly have embraced this idea that we're king and everybody should do what we want. Um, and sometimes that's even good things. Sometimes we want them to do something that's going to honor God. But, but we're going to be the one who's going to make that happen, and that's a problem. So a couple applications of this real quick that we may, if we were just thinking about that principle of how we have to uphold the Lord as holy in all that we do, even if we find ourselves being frustrated, um, is that one thing we need to learn is all leaders uh, must show that the Lord is holy, that he is set apart in the way we act and respond to those under us. Um, or even, I, you could say peers, it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to leaders, but Moses is a leader here. So, you know, one, one um, way we can figure out where we're struggling with this is where do I become easily um, frustrated and rash with my words in a way that shows I'm not trusting God? Right? Um, when, uh, when kids rebel, young children rebel, do I take it as a personal offense more than being concerned about God's holiness and the way I respond. That doesn't mean you can't strike the bottom, right? I mean, in this case, they, Moses is not to strike the rock, but you can strike the bottom in uh, appropriate right ways. Um, but, because uh, parents are called to exercise authority, there is appropriate discipline that's to be given. Uh, but how do we show that the Lord is holy when we do that in our words and actions? Um, so, I mean, we could just, that's convicting enough, right? We could just like, be done for the day and have the rest of the day repenting and working on this, especially for those who have been or are parents. Yeah. I cannot believe how hot Moses must have been. Everything he's been through with us. Oh, yeah. Yep. A lot of talking to God, don't destroy us. The whole thing in the wilderness, all the rebellion. And I just go, man, you must have been so angry. That's right. And then, but I heard somebody say the pastor, actually somebody here, I don't know his name, but he says, when we're dealing with parents, it's easier to deal with no than why, because why questions a person's authority. Mm. It's like, it sounds like, the way you get a client agitated is to ask them why, not what happened or yeah. how that happened, but to say, why are you wearing that vest? Because it makes the person defensive. So you have Moses going to bat for these people 40 years yeah. or whatever, and then all of a sudden they go, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, that questioning is authority, that questioning yes. is position with God, then I question everything about his existence, his identity, yeah. and so, yeah, it just goes ballistic and hits the lot. Yeah, 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 that's right. Well, there's another thing about the rock that he, at Rephidim, the first time it happened, he was, God told him to strike the rock one time. Yes. This time he was not, he was told to speak to it, but this violates the type typology of the Even rock. of the first one, yeah. Yeah, because Christ was stricken once Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> yep, and, uh, okay, yep, I'm, I was about to go back and say some more about that other thing that you brought to mind, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with, with numbers, but that's a good point. So, yes, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. Um, so, the other point I'll make is that leaders of God's people need to take heed to this, don't they? Um, 
Moses, uh, and, and this is what you were just bringing out a second ago, is that Moses must be tired of this rebellious people. I mean, he's been on a 40-year road trip through the desert with his people that are constantly asking things like, are we there yet? Right? I mean, not really, but you get the point. There's this constant, probably 40 years of, I mean, we, we're not told every detail that happens before, but at least there's, at least we do know there are certain times where this happens, right? Um, and so we can, we can understand that, um, but he's accountable to God and must not grow weary in doing good. That's true for all of us. It's certainly true for those in leadership. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 speaks to the whole church, really, but it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Why? For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. In other words, there's a harvest, but we have to continue doing good, not grow weary. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, This doesn't mean that there's no room to admonish and correct. That needs to happen. That's, in fact, part of doing good to one another in the faith. Um, but it means that we know the issue is God's holiness, not our comfort. And that's the temptation even in, in leadership within a church, right? Get frustrated with a sheep that's doing the same thing over and over again. And instead of being patient, to be frustrated and, and respond more out of, well, you're making my life difficult. Rather than, okay, well, how do we glorify God in this? Again, that doesn't mean there's not room for rebuke. Maybe there is, but that comes out of how, let, God is holy. How are we going to glorify God in this? rather than, could you please stop that because it's really irritating me, right? Um, so we need, we need to have a form of, of uh, God's holiness always in front of our eyes. Uh, one more application I'll make here is the encouraging thing of God's faithfulness. Does God still give them what they need and after this? He does. The water still comes, right? He does still provide them water, and that's mercy and grace. He didn't have to do that. It was not deserved. It was not owed. He just does it out of mercy and grace. So we can, we can see God's faithfulness on display again. Now we're going to move to the next. Uh, someone have a hand up? Ask me something. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned already. Miriam died? Yes. So as we go through our own lives, you know, we have our lack of patience, our natural inability to be patient, and then we get worn down by these circumstances. Um, as well, and so then we have maybe we need some extra intentionality, right? Because we know our lack of patience, and then when we are emotionally empty and dealing with some sort of yeah. a hard time, it's less, right? It's harder. Yeah, yeah. I know. I don't know. What no, that's a good connection to make. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It say that at the beginning of the chapter. Right. And so it's interesting to think like he cracked in a moment where like you know I would just run out of patience, but maybe he's just dealing with a little bit of feeling. You know? Yep. Anyway, just something yeah. we apply to ourselves. Right. Yeah. So so we always uh, yeah we always have to be mindful of um, the holiness of the Lord. And recognize there are going to be times where it's easier to forget that because of other circumstances, right? Like, so the death of Miriam, his sister, certainly could factor into that. Um, Plus, he's 120. <clears throat> that's right. Yep. He's, yep. Yeah. He's, try, he's probably tired, of, you know, physically as well. Um, certainly wore out uh, probably spiritually to some degree with these people. But the Lord's been faithful to him. Um, so, yeah, we, we need to be, be on guard. Not become jaded, right, with the people we're, we're trying to lead or deal with. Yeah. It, it's, it seems exceedingly unlikely to me that Moses intentionally, in his intent, was saying, I'm going to do it my way and disobey God. Right. It just seems... You don't sit down and think, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to go ahead and rebel. Yeah. That's but, right. But, but in his yep. heart, he was presumptive. Yep. And in his anger, he forgot. Yes. The very thing God had just spoken to him, and instead, in his anger, just did what he did before. That's right. And it didn't come out the first time, so he struck it again, it seems. Yeah. And God being faithful gives the water anyway. Yeah. But 
the one that didn't give glory to God was Moses. Yeah. Personally, he forgot God. In that yeah, that's, that's right. Looks yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah. And it, yeah, it's important to realize that. And I, I think there's, um, we just recognize that um, sin is not always something we sit down and, cal- it's, like, it's like, well, it's only sin if I sat down and calculated that I was going to rebel against God, right? Um, sin comes out of us in many ways um, when we're squeezed. It's just like that's, we find that's what's in us. We get squeezed. It comes out. Um, and what's the right response? Well, it's to repent, right? Um, and God is merciful and gracious. So now we'll move on to the next section. <clears throat> we'll see um, um, the Israelites are told to take a hike. And um, this is one final defeat that they face in verses 14 through 21. They're moving towards the promised land. Um, so let's, let's read here um, about what happens in verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt for a long time, a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from your well. And he basically goes along and says, look, we're not going to take anything. We're just, we just want to, we want safe passage. That's all we want to do. We just want to walk through your land. We're not invading. We're not taking stuff from you. Um, But verse 18, Edom said to him, you shall not pass through lest I come out with sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go. And again, we're not going to take anything. Even if we drink some water, we're going to pay you for it. Verse 20, but he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now, as you look at this map, um, Edom is right here. This is Edom. So the people are over here. They send messengers. The whole group is not gone yet, just messengers. They send messengers to Edom. Um, you can see why they would want to pass through Edom. If they're trying to get up here to this Transjordan area, it makes a lot more sense to go there than have to go all the way down here, right, and come down around it. Um, so that's, that's what their desire is. Now, it begins with two, two things that are interesting. One, uh, they begin by requesting permission to go through, and they refer to Edom as brothers, or they say, we're your brothers or something, right? Um, and then he goes through this whole thing about how they were slaves in Egypt and kind of reminds them of the backstory of their mistreatment. Why, why do all that? Does anyone know? Like, why, we'll start with the question of, why do they call them brothers? Why do they say, like, hey, we're your brothers? Because they were the descendants of Esau, and yep. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. That's right. So these are the descendants of Esau, right? So, um, so they are, going back, there is that connection of, they really are brothers. Um, Israel is, is, is a brother nation, so to speak, with Edom. Um, didn't the Lord tell them not to make war? And that's right. And the Lord specifically told them they were not allowed to make war against Edom and uh, I think Moab as well. Um, <clears throat> so they're, they're told they're not allowed to make war um, against all the, really their, their aim is like the people in the land, right? The Canaanites and those who the Lord said, I'm, I'm going to pour out my judgment on them, right? And it's going to be through you and I'm going to give you the land. So, so God's doing two things. He's giving them the land like he promised and he's faithfully judging a people, right? Uh, so, so they're not allowed to make war on them. So, so they ask uh, permission, and um, they're basically told to take a hike, right? They say, nope, take a hike, go down the long way. You're not coming through here. So Israel does not <clears throat> push it. They, they're not going to go through. In the next verses, they're going to set out from where they're at in Kadesh, and they're going to take this circuitous path, 
And first they're going to stop by Mount Hor, and something major is going to happen. Look at verses 22 through 29. They journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel and the whole congregation came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, uh, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, those are the priestly garments, and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, put them on Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days." So Aaron is going to die. He's going to be gathered to his people, which, by the way, is a picture in the Old Testament of hope. Um, There are some who will go to Sheol in the Old Testament. They will be swallowed up, things like that, or their body, we're told in some some judgments, uh, their their bodies will not be buried. They'll be left out for the birds and all these other things, which is a picture of dying under God's judgment. Uh, For here, whenever several times you see being gathered to his people, it's it's, it's a pointer to, this is not the end. They're going to die, but they're going to be with God's people, right? So there, even in the Old Testament, we have pictures of afterlife like here. Uh, Psalms is even more direct in some afterlife pictures. Um, but anyway, the, the point is Aaron is going to die, but, but he is going to be with uh, the people even after his death, uh, not the people still living, but um, in God's place. So, um, so what we have here is a changing of the guard and thankfully not an ending of the guard. You know what I mean? I, what I mean is God's not gonna end the high priesthood. Why, why would it be a big deal if the high priesthood ended? Then there would be no, um, I guess, way to glorify God. Yeah, so their approach to God is going to be, they're going to have a problem if we don't have a high priest, because the high priest is the mediator between the people and God, right? That's why he has to be set apart in all these unique ways, because he's going to represent the people before God. He's going to be the only one that's going to be able to go in and make the atonement for the nation as a whole on the day of atonement. Um, so if you don't have a high priest, then this whole thing about how they're going to be able to relate to God is going to fall apart. So it's, it's pretty significant that God is, yes, he's going to, to take Aaron, but he's not going to take away the high priesthood. He's going to give them that. Um, <clears throat> this also reminds us of and points ahead to why Jesus is the better high priest. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you out of Hebrews 7, verses 21 through 25. It says, uh, Jesus was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, quote, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So there he's quoting from a psalm that talks about this uh, special priesthood that the Messiah is going to have. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So uh, we have a better covenant with a better mediator that is, is pointed ahead to you. But here we're reminded these priests are going to die. They're going to have to transfer the role of high priest and things like that to, the, to others. Jesus is not going to do that because he will die, but he will be raised, right? The father will raise him from the dead and he will serve forever as the high priest of his people. <clears throat> um, uh, Gordon Wedham summarizes uh, chapter 20 well, I think. 
He says this uh, from his commentary, the death of Miriam followed by the death sentence passed on the brothers, that's Aaron and Moses, makes this one of the most tragic sections of numbers. Yet these verses stand as a reminder of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men and the need for faithful obedience. In Jesus, there is one through whom we can receive rivers of living water, John 7, 38, enabling us to enter the rest promised to the people of God, Hebrews 4. So, that's where that points us ahead. That's an encouraging and uh, sad section in both. both. Both things are happening there, right? We're sad, but we're also thankful for God's faithfulness. Now we see in the next section, um, we're going to see several, several military victories. We're going to see an issue, um, probably one of the more well-known sections in Numbers in a minute. So look at 21, chapter 21. <clears throat> when the Canaanite, so note this is a Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Ethereum. He fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So he's a Canaanite and he attacks Israel, right? And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord obeyed the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. So we have this taste of victory. Um, you'll remember about 40 years earlier, the spies go into the land. They come back and they say, look, no way we're going in there. This is a bad idea. We're not, God's, we can't trust that God's going to take us into this land, right? So they flee. And then they change their mind once they're told, okay, God says you can't enter the land right now. You're going to wander for 40 years. Then they change their mind, right? They're like, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. We're, we're going to go in. And Moses says, don't do it. Don't go up there because God is not going with you. He's already pronounced his discipline. Don't, don't go against that. Well, they rebel again, right, in good form, and they, they go up and attack, and what happens? The Canaanites drive them back out of the land, they utterly defeat them, and they chase them to the place of Hormah, which means destruction. You see, now we're kind of bookending that with, now we have, they've been chased and attacked by Canaanites, they fight back and destroy the Canaanites all the way to the place of Hormah, destruction, right? So I think we're bookending this. This new generation is coming and victory is on the horizon, right? God is going to be faithful to what he promised. Uh, so, new era. But they're not in the land yet. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's keep going. They experience this, this victory, but a new generation is still going to struggle to trust God. Look at chapter 21, verses 4 through 5. The people complain. This is the part you probably have heard of in the book of Numbers before. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, because they can't go through it, right? And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So, this people, uh, still part of the old generation there, part of the new generation, we have a problem. They're complaining again. Right? I mean, come on, right? You just want to shake them. Um, but you want to do that with yourself too, don't you? Sometimes you're just like, oh, why do I keep, uh. okay. But anyway, so there's this, um, they're impatient. They're not patient trusting in God's timing. And again, that can lead us into sin when we get impatient, can't it? Right? It's I, I want it, I want it, and I want it now. I want the comforts of heaven, and I want it now. Instead of, well, we're, hey, we're ambassadors right now. We are um, to be faithful to you, Lord. And we have the comfort that you're with us. But that doesn't mean we have all the comforts of heaven yet, Right? Um, so they're impatient um, and uh, they, they believe lies about God's provision. So uh, by the way, often when we become impatient, it's because we're setting ourselves on the throne. We're wanting what we want. And guess what? The smarter we are, the better we come up with justifying our position. And even though we are wrong, 
right? Smarter people aren't necessarily better at reasoning. They're just better at coming up with rationalizations and excuses. So that's, what, that's what's happening here. They say this, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die? Is that why God brought them out of Egypt? No. Are they dying? Yes. Why? They disobeyed God, right? Have we forgotten? This is why God did not bring you out of Egypt to die, right? But yes, this generation is dying because you have rebelled against God. Uh, the second thing is um, there is no food and no water. Well, God did provide water, right, recently. Um, and um, is it true that there's no food? Well, look at what they say. There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Is there no food? Right? I mean, by their own words, they're sh- so this is just a rationalization. What they mean is, this is crummy food we're getting, the manna, right? So God has been providing for them manna, and they're saying, yes, okay, so we have food, but that's not food, let's be honest, right? Um, and so they're, they're again, so they're not thankful, which again, this happens. When we become impatient with the Lord, we become unthankful, ungrateful, um, and it's just a whole series of sins can be accompanying that type of heart. Um, it's a pretty common path. Um, God isn't providing whatever, X, Y, and Z, right? A spouse, a job, uh, some sort of comfort. Um, so um, clearly he doesn't care about me. Well, is that true? Romans eight thirty two. he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. If that's true, how will he not also give us, freely give us all things? But you see, in our, in our spiral of looking inward, we will easily go down that trail of, well, he hasn't provided this, so therefore he doesn't care. And so we just need to be aware of that. That's the way temptation works. Um, we saw it with Adam and Eve as well, right? Uh, oh, he said you can't have that, that tree. Well, yeah, I guess you didn't say we couldn't have that tree. Well, God had given him every tree except for that one, right? And so we can easily start to doubt God's goodness, and that will lead down a path of um, further and further down unbelief. And so we need to confess as soon as we realize that. Um, and sometimes we're reminded that God does care for us because we, we're told that he sent his son. Um, and then... Um, if our, we, we can easily respond, well, I know that, but that doesn't affect what I'm facing right now. Again, we need to recognize that that's a problem, right? We should be moved by the fact that he gave his own son. And uh, we need to ask God to help us um, realize the, the reality, the fullness of what that means. Uh, so God sends discipline and judgment, uh, or kind of both, right? Because some are probably needing judgment, some need just discipline. Verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died Well, how do the people respond? Here's something new. Look at verse seven. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So we have a clear confession of sin, desire to repent. That's somewhat new in the storyline. We haven't seen that regularly. So that's good. They confess, they agree with God. They ask Moses to intercede, which he does. How does God respond? He sends a cure. Look at verses eight through nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the serpent and live. So make a serpent of bronze, put it on the pole. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if we know exactly why. I don't, I don't know that we're told anywhere explicitly why we do a serpent on there. Um, one commentator did point out that it could be, in one sense, foreshadowing the work of Christ. Sin is what brings death, right? That's true. Jesus, on the cross, takes our sin. We're even told that he becomes sin for us in 1 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians? Anyway, one of the Corinthians. Um, he, he, or maybe it's Peter, actually. He, anyway, he, take, he, he takes sin for us and is lifted up in our place, right? Um, so in some way, it could be pointing to that. It, it's to be put on a pole, 
by the way, which is the idea of a uh, standard or a signal, like a banner type thing uh, that's going to be put up. Um, Isaiah refers to the same idea that this one who's going to come as the root of Jesse, from the, from the stump of, the, of Jesse, uh, he is going to be a standard, a banner that the nations can look to and be um, come to him. So we see that come up later in the storyline. But here the people are, to, after being bitten, they are to look to this serpent that's being lifted up to be saved. So what we have here is faith, right? There's no reason to think in your human intuition, well, if I look at this bronze serpent, I'll be healed from this venomous snake bite. So there's a call to faith. There's a call to look away from even your, your main problem and say, well, this is, what I, this is the solution. I need this, what God has said, and believe what God says. And so this points ahead, and part of the reason this is probably one of the more familiar passages, even if you didn't remember all those details, is you probably remember from John 3 that Jesus refers back to this. Okay, you remember that? John 3. So you can turn there if you want, um, or I'll, I'll just read it to you in a minute. But John 3, beginning in verse 14, we'll look there. Um, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he points back to several things in the Old Testament that shed light on who Jesus is and what he came to do. So he points to things like uh, the need to have, uh, be born again by water and spirit. That points back to some things in Ezekiel. Uh, he talks about him being the son of man. That points back to things in the book of Daniel, that he's going to be the son of man who's going to come um, with the full authority of God. Uh, John 3 then says this, so he goes through some of that, and then he says this, verse 14, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he points back to that serpent, he says, In the same way, that is an analogous situation to what God is doing now with the Son of Man. He's going to put, I will be lifted up as a banner to whom Anyone in the nations looks to, they will be saved, right? It's not even just going to be for the Jews. It's for any nation that would look to him, people, individuals who look to him, will be, have eternal life. For God so loved the world, and so here is probably saying in this manner, in the same manner that God loved the people of Israel and gave them this means to have a cure to death, Right? And there, theirs is a physical, but this we're talking spiritual here, right? We're pointing ahead. In that same way, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So just as the serpent is lifted up, so Jesus will be lifted up as the standard, the banner, the one to whom anyone looks at, they will be saved. And, and specifically, when Jesus talks about being lifted up, he's referring to being lifted up on the cross in his death for people. Look at, uh, we don't have to look there, but John 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So that's what Jesus is pointing us, that's what um, Moses here um, ends up pointing us ahead to. Uh, this is a type, a um, foreshadow of what Jesus is going to come into the world to do. Right? This is a taste of it. And so in that vein, Matthew Henry says this. I thought this was helpful in his commentary. Oh, that the venom of the old serpent inflaming men's passions and causing them to commit sins which end in their eternal destruction, if, if that were as sensibly felt and the danger as plainly seen as the Israelites felt pain from the fiery bite, for the bite of the fiery serpents and feared the death which followed, then none would shut their eyes to Christ to turn or turn from his gospel. Then a crucified Savior would be so valued that all things else would be accounted loss for him. Then without delay and with earnestness and simplicity, all would apply to him in the appointed way, crying, Lord, save us, we perish. I mean, think about it. We, and this is the problem. We don't see our sin 
as sin, apart from God opening our eyes, really, right? But we, because we, we think we're okay. We come up with explanations and excuses and all sorts of things for, for why this, redefinitions, for, for why we don't actually have a problem with God. So, but oh, if we would see that, and we would see that Jesus is the one lifted up for us, the affection that would be drawn forth from our heart, right, would be, would be Lord, save us, right? Um, so, that's what we see pointed ahead to here. Um, if you don't think sin is fatal, you won't care to look. If you think the snake bite isn't venomous, you're not going to care to look, Right? If you don't think Jesus is the God-ordained cure, the one that God said, look to me, you know, and be saved, then you won't look. Instead, you'll, you'll trust in your own health, so to speak. Well, I'm okay. It's not that bad. It's a flesh wound, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But that's not true. That is not true. Sin is deadly. It deserves eternal wrath because God is perfectly holy. He's eternally holy. And so we need the eternal son to become a man so that he might die in our place and take that venom and give us the cure, his own blood, right? He takes our venom-infused blood, gives us his righteous blood so that we are able to be, um, have eternal life. So that's important, right? And we, we need that salvation. Well, we need, to, we need to keep moving here. We're gonna, th- this last part, by the way, just so you know, I did intend to just go faster over this. Um, so we're gonna skim over it, but I'll just point it out a couple things. chapter 21, verses 21 through 35, Israel defeats another king in this area um, of a king of, of, uh, his name is Sihon. Uh, You can see this is kind of further up north. So once they moved around, down here's the area they had to move around. They walked all the way down. They came up. They come here. They have a battle right here with Sihon. um, And uh, he actually comes out to to fight with them. They they do battle. They are victorious. then Israel is going to defeat Og, which is another one of these Amorite, uh, Amorite kings um, who they are told to, to defeat, and that's going to happen further up here. So what ends up happening is they're going to end up with all this land on the Transjordan side. Okay, that's how they end up with this Transjordan side of the land. Um, so they, they defeat them, they devote them and their cities to destruction. Uh, so this is, again, this is showing the turning of the tide. The, the new era is dawning. Now they're not in the land yet, right? But the point is they're, they are winning these battles and getting land that God is going to put them right across from the promised land where they're about to enter in a little, little while. It's going to be a lot of chapters, but you know, um, in terms of time, relatively speaking, a little while. Um, so a couple things in conclusion. Um, this, we, see, we continue to see the people are unfaithful um, pretty, pretty often, and yet we also continue to see God is faithful. So that's, that should be, if you, if you take one thing from numbers, take that. Right, that's really the book of Numbers in a nutshell, is uh, the people are unfaithful, but God is faithful to his promises. Um, we see God's faithfulness in keeping his promise to this new generation, taking them to the brink of the land, giving them a new high priest, providing food and water despite their grumbling. When the people repent, he shows mercy. We see that. Um, and, uh, and it foreshadows God's redemptive work. That's the other thing I would summarize from today. We see foreshadows of God's redemptive work in terms of like the redemptive work in Christ. Right? We see that, that these snake bites point to our, our own sin and need of salvation and that Jesus is the one who God lifts up so that we might look to him and be saved. So let's close in prayer. God, we are thankful for your word and uh, for your patience with us. Um, God, we can uh, so often, um, too often, relate to 
Um, the sin we see Moses commit here of not regarding you as holy, um, we can relate to the sin of the Israelites in our grumbling, complaining, and um, rather than a, a wholehearted trust in you. And yet we know you're faithful, we know you're merciful, and we know you sent your son uh, to redeem us. And so we, we rest in him, we trust in him. Help us not to be um, like the world, uh, explaining away our sin, ignoring our sin, thinking it's not that big of a deal. Help us to be a people marked by repentance, um, living a life of repentance, trusting in you, um, fully really resting in what Christ has done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.